Medicare is complicated. Medicare can be confusing. Medicare is no fun to study. Will you know what decisions to make when Medicare time arrives for you? My name is Doug Jones, and I wrote a book to help you figure it all out. Medicare for the Lazy Man. It's on sale at Amazon and BarnesandNoble.com. Also, you can download and listen to my podcast, Medicare for the Lazy Man, wherever fine podcasts are given away free of charge. Medicare for the Lazy Man, simplest and easiest guide ever. Oh, say can you see the Medicare for the Lazy Man podcast, the great white whale of Medicare podcasts. What has he done for you lately? It's Medicare expert, Doug Jones. Hiya, hiya, hiya. Hey, it's your old Uncle Dougie back at you with another dose of Medicare knowledge that uh, I'm hoping will go down just like a spoonful of sugar. It's a beautiful, sunny Arizona day. There's some rain clouds in the area. We always love to hear that. And more importantly, there is Medicare knowledge to be shared. And how do I share my Medicare knowledge with all of the, the people who are interested in, in a approaching that Medicare transition. Well, the way I do that best is by encouraging them to go and read my book. You can go to amazon.com. You can go to barnesandnoble.com. Once you get there, you're going to find that there are several different editions of the book, especially on Amazon. We've got uh, four different editions to suit your, your uh, buying needs, your uh, uh, budget, your pocketbook, and to suit your reading preferences, we've got an audible book. We've got a Kindle e-reader that, or e-book that is uh, very inexpensive. We've got an $8 paperback, and we've got a magnificent $22 hardcover version. But the important thing is the Medicare knowledge and information is identical in each of those editions. And when you are finished with the short read, I'd say less than an hour and a half, then you're going to have a grasp of Medicare ins and outs and uh, knowledge uh, that's working for you or that will work for you. And it clears up a lot of the mystery, I'm told. So I would say you would be doing yourself a favor, if you're at all interested in Medicare, to purchase Medicare for the Lazy Man 2023. Just put that right in the search window and you'll come up with the book with the orange 2023, which is the current year book. If you're listening to this in 2024, you probably shouldn't search for the book ending in 2023. I'm guessing there's going to be a Medicare for the lazy man 2024. That's the one you ought to be searching for. Randy's taking careful notes about this. He's in one of the conference rooms in our tower, our headquarters uh, that I haven't seen yet. It's a magnificent view of some city. I don't know what city that is, Randy. What's uh, what's the panoramic view behind you? Well, I was going to tell you that it was Central Park, but it's not. I haven't made it all the way north to to New York City yet. So right now I'm I'm kind of stopped on the East Coast down in South Carolina. I wouldn't go any farther north than that. You know, maybe North Carolina, uh, Virginia, not politically an area that I would feel comfortable in yet, although it seems to be heading in that direction. So I would say that you have stopped in an excellent place. 
South Carolina has a lot to uh, commend it. Good, good. I uh, I really like the area, so I may spend some time here. Uh, it's nice I'll, that you get to, to travel. Is that <laughs> is are those rented quarters? I, I just I'm trying to figure out the budgetary uh, drains uh, on the Medicare for the Lazy Man uh, annual report. And well, so, yeah, yeah. I don't I know whether I, you're sitting in a conference room that we own that we rent that somebody else owns and we pay money to. Well, you, I probably, I don't think I've sent you the email yet, Doug, but we have leased a floor on one of the towers down here. Okay. And, uh, I, I just thought I probably should let you know how much it costs, but I, I'll, let me get all, I let me, I got to get the calculator out. All right. Well, here's the deal. First of all, you know, I don't like bad news. <laughs> so <laughs> if, if you can, if you can sugarcoat it, that would be nice. Secondly, I thought we had one world headquarters building that housed our whole staff, except for the few people out in the field, like the content curator um, and uh, you and Margaret, I thought perhaps that we just had one location, but this is a new view. This is a magnificently beautiful view that I haven't seen before. So uh, there's something I'm not gathering here about the, the this the, is the new this is the new southern headquarters. Okay, southern headquarters. That's what I'm missing. We have other headquarters apparently. Yes, we have we have the New York headquarters in Manhattan, and then this is the southern headquarters. Well, and I'm, I'm just and I'm looking for something in you know in Southern California too, but I didn't I haven't talked to you about that yet. Well, yeah, let, that's going to be a short conversation. California is not <laughs> turning not turning out to be the kind of place that I think we want to establish a new business. But I'm looking for some uh, black ink at the bottom of the fiscal reports, ah, and ah. so if we can do that while maintaining all these headquarters, that'll be fine. Otherwise, I think we have to sharpen our pencils. Okay, well. I think so too. I, you know, maybe I might have spent a little bit overboard on this, but I'll let you know and then we'll see what you think. I'll be looking forward to your full report. In the meantime, I have something horrifying to share with you. Actually, a couple of horrifying things. One horrifying thing is the CDC's assault on the English language that we uh, touch on every episode. I have been so excited about continuing this thing because they have so many categories of the English language that they have changed adjectives and they want to become woke and they insist that we become woke. And so they've got a whole staff, a uh, whole portion of their staff that is instead of uh, the CDC is supposed to be uh, controlling and uh, preventing diseases. And what they're doing is trying to control and prevent our free use of the English language by insisting that we change our our way of speaking about certain groups of people. Well, unfortunately, we've come to the end of the line. The category I have today is the last category in this rather thick um, file that I've been reading from, and so I'm I'm sorry to see it go. I'm pretty sure they're going to come out with new stuff after a while, but uh, the final category of people that we have to work hard to avoid hurting their feelings. Uh, the title of this category is working partners and community collaborators. And the first word that we're not supposed to use is stakeholder. I almost never use that word anyway, but the fact that they don't want me to use it. What, just, what in the world is wrong with stakeholder? I don't know, but the fact they don't want us to use it makes me suspicious. So uh, let's see, here's a big note about stakeholders. They are persons or groups who have an interest or a concern in a project, activity, or course of action. 
the term so far so good the term stakeholder is used across many disciplines to reflect different levels of input or investment in projects or activities the term can be used to reflect a power differential ah between groups and has a violent connotation for some tribes and tribal members now we've got to worry about indians when we're talking about stakeholders um, it also groups all parties into one term, despite potential differences in the way they are engaged or interact with a project or activity. This is completely insane. Note this is that, absolute BS. Absolutely. Absolute BS. Absolutely. The term stakeholder should be replaced as much as possible, recognizing it may not always be possible to do so. Consider using words other than stakeholder when appropriate for your audience and subject matter. Well, you're my audience right now. If I use the term stakeholder, does that frighten you? Does that no, uh, have no. connotations of violence for you? No, uh, no. How about your tribe or tribal members? Uh, no, no. I, I think okay. we're good. I think we're good. The oh, only the God. only thing I can think of, well, okay, you know, I'm a software engineer. I have used stakeholders as related to project participants right. my whole life. It's Why should you have to change now? Well, you have right. to change because the CDC says you have to change. Well, the CDC knows nothing as it relates to software engineering. <laughs> I understand that, but they don't appear to understand that. Who's going to tell <laughs> So they also say, try this, consider the audience when determining the appropriate terms to use whenever possible, be explicit to better describe specific groups and or individuals with interest in the activity using relevant names, categories, or descriptions of the nature of their in. They're really stretching. The word stakeholder has no negative connotations at all. They are really stretching to try to come up with a reason. They picked a word off a shelf and said, let us bend over backwards to try to tell people they're not allowed to use this word anymore. That's incredibly stupid. I've got a better idea. Yeah, let's bend them over backwards, right? There's that, and there's also... You know, you can also get rid of Medicare zombies with stakes. <laughs> but yes, but somebody would have to hold them. Hence, the True. stakeholders. Yes, the stakeholders. Connotation, connotations of violence uh, for some tribes and tribal members. Uh, okay, so if your key groups are organizations or people directly involved in the project or activity, use terms that describe the nature of their influence or involvement. Examples. Collaborators, contributors, community. Oh, we have to use the word community. The left has stolen the word community and just they pound that to death. Community members, community impacted, community affected, community of solution, coalition members, allies, colleagues, clients, tribes, advocacy groups, interested parties or groups, implementing partners, working partners. And it goes on to say, if your key groups are ones you are accountable to in some direct or indirect way, consider using a term that specifies the relationship. For example, founders, fund or funders, funding agency, donors, policymakers, broader public health community. That's a mouthful right there. Government officials. Oh, I don't want to think about them. Elected officials, the general public and taxpayers. More general terms can include with strategic interests can include more general terms can include those with strategic interests in the project people involved in this particular project 
beneficiaries of the project or people whose support or input you seek. And the examples of that, constituents, beneficiaries, potential collaborators, potential partners, potentially affected organizations, persons, potential users of the evaluation. That is the last word in this rather thick file, and I am happy to see it go. Okay, now they have they have ruffled my feathers. You know it why? Is, uh, it's about time, but tell me why. Because I am a software engineer by trade, and none of what you just read that the Makes CDC put all. together is in, in, in any way, shape, or form true. How much do you suppose we had to pay for the committee of weirdos that uh, sat there and, and um, put that together, do you think? Were uh, they was, stakeholders? Oh, I'm sure they had a stake in something, and uh, I could go back to that. <laughs> I have thrown that document across the room. Otherwise, I'd be happy to revisit it for a few other categories. Tribes, they there are tribe members. and uh, well, I, can just, I can just envision this in my head as a software engineer standing up in front of a project, a group of uh, – project uh, members yes okay we're gonna get rid of the term stakeholders which is the reason you're here because otherwise you wouldn't be here right on oh. overtime too we're gonna that's you know, right pay a bonus to everybody that's right so i'm gonna i'm gonna flip out that term stakeholders for people that give a crap okay so all you people here are now people that give a crap oh boy and i can see the room emptying out because i would be one of the people <laughs> headed for the door i don't give a crap except for the fact that the we pay for this kind of stupidity and then we ask for it to be inflicted upon us we got a bunch of pansy uh you know nanny state weirdos telling us about our language for Christ's sake our language just was developed over a thousand years um it's been perfectly serviceable don't be telling me what i'm supposed to be saying to your stupid little community um well <laughs> i Got up on my high horse for a second. Uh, here's the other horrifying thing that I saw today, and I I fear that we're in for more of the same for the next few months. I saw on my television screen after I woke up this morning, Joe Namath, and I didn't see him only once. I saw him more than once, and we are entering. Oh my god! The is period he still, of time. is he still beating that drum? Yeah, you know something. He doesn't look any younger. I got to tell you, his, his newest commercials, The uh, there's been a whole series of uh, federal regulations brought down upon honest and um, helpful insurance agents that are supposed to stifle the likes of these stupid ads from Joe Namath and the other uh, celebrities that you're going to be seeing on your screens. And um, so they've had to re uh, they've had to film new ads that are theoretically in compliance with the new regulations. I don't mess with their stupid products, so I don't have to comply with their stupid regulations, but I see the angst that these new regulations have caused in the insurance business. And that brought to mind this uh, article from Steve, our buddy Steve down in Texas. I put this in my important articles pile, which then grew and grew and grew, and I just recently discovered it. The headline here is Medicare Advantage was meant to curb federal health care spending. Instead, it is costing more. So it is uh, doing exactly the opposite. It's unintended consequences, and it's uh, come to the point where we're going to have to do something, either go to war against these people or find some way to stop the drain on American society. Um, 
the whole point of these ads that Joe Namath and these other uh, celebrities you're going to be seeing on the television do is to lure you into dialing the phone. Now, many of our listeners here are not going to fall prey to that kind of silliness and just pick up the phone because they know that Medicare for the lazy man is waiting to help them cross that line, that Medicare transition from Obamacare to Medicare. And I that's what I do every day. And I'm contacted by people way in advance of their retirement date, way in advance of their age 65 date. But from other sources, I keep hearing about the fact that these guys are cashing in big time because there's a segment of the population out there that doesn't know how to engage in Medicare. And so they fall prey to these ads and the ads are touting agencies uh, insurance agencies that sell Medicare Advantage plans. And by virtue of that, I think they're preying on the helpless. I uh, have many articles here describing the problems with Medicare Advantage and how it's costing our society, our economy, a great deal of money. And uh, some of the victims are the people that are the intended beneficiaries of Medicare Advantage, but instead they become vehicles for the Medicare Advantage uh, proponents to enrich themselves on because they are an excuse for the government to write big fat checks to the Medicare Advantage plans. We're going to delve into that more deeply as time goes by, but there are a couple of things that I don't really, uh, I'm I'm sorry about that they've kind of, when it comes to winning the battle, Uh, The war is yet to be decided. Maybe you lose a battle, but you can win the war. And maybe sometimes the battle is lost, but or the battle is won, but the war is lost, which is not the kind of ending that I'm looking for. But Medicare Advantage plans were originally intended to solve a problem. One of the problems they do solve is that they don't do any medical underwriting. And so if you've got a, a person who is Medicare eligible and they've violated all the rules so that they are not able to get into a Medicare supplement plan, which offers perfect freedom of choice, then their only option is to take a Medicare Advantage plan, which offers a cage of structure that they have to contend with. It offers a network of doctors and hospitals, and they won't get compensated if they go outside that network. And then they would tell you, well, that's not really true because some of the Medicare Advantage plans are HMOs where you don't get any uh, reimbursement for your medical expenses if you seek treatment from doctors that are not in the network. And then they say, but the, um, the PPO Medicare Advantage plans have a network that is not completely um It's not completely uh, required that you go. You can go to any provider you want to, but if that provider is not in the network, then you're only going to get reimbursed a part of the cost. Well, it's like having half-assed insurance instead of insurance that's going to protect you from the consequences of uh, horrible things happening to you. A Medicare Advantage HMO is bad because you have no freedom of choice. Now, if you don't have any illnesses, if you don't have any claims, if you don't have any problems, then it really isn't too bad. But when will that change? Well, the problem is you've got a Medicare Advantage plan and bad things happen to you. You cannot travel to the Medicare supplement plan because they will ask you health questions. And if something has happened to cause you to question the uh, the um, healthfulness or the 
coverage, the protection that your Medicare Advantage plan has uh, provided for you, then it's a little too late for you to qualify for a Medicare supplement plan. Let me go through a few of the highlighted areas. I gave this to the uh, content curator, and she worked her magic with the uh, yellow highlighter here. So the one thing that Medicare Advantage has not done is curb the government's health care spending even though that was a big selling point in Washington when it was approved in the mid-90s as Medicare Part C. The mid-1990s, ladies and gentlemen, is when Medicare Advantage rose, reared its ugly head. Today, Medicare spends considerably more for an Advantage member than it does for a comparable enrollee in Medicare Parts A and B. As a result, a program born out of the desire to deliver better care and more choices for seniors while reducing government costs is instead generating hefty income for private health insurers and keeping Medicare on a path to insolvency by decades end. But Medicare and Social Security are politically so explosive that almost no one in Washington is willing to talk about the issues publicly, let alone propose spending cuts that will draw the ire of millions of older voters. Um, there are also health spending pressures that neither side can do much about the number of seniors, seniors, the number of seniors is growing as the U S population ages. They are living longer. They're seeking more expensive medical help, uh, to help them lead better lives and more productive lives. When Medicare advantage was introduced more than two decades ago, it has been devised as a money saving plan. Traditional Medicare pays doctors and hospitals a fee for each service they render. But with Medicare Advantage, private health plans, most operating as health maintenance organizations, HMOs, the very most evil, the worst kind, they are paid a set amount per patient per month, regardless of how many or how few medical services are used. As in other managed care plans, participants typically select primary physicians, from a list of providers, and must obtain referrals to visit specialists. That fixed amount covers everything a doctor or other provider does for a patient. It's called capitation, and the idea was to encourage medical providers to be more efficient. Initially, capitation rates for moderate, or for Medicare Advantage were set at 95% of the Advantage um, cost of an enrollee in original, oh, the average cost, excuse me, let me start that again. Initially, capitation rates for Medicare Advantage were set at 95% of the average cost of an enrollee in original Medicare, but later, officials added a so-called risk, risk adjustment process. Not wanting to incentivize insurers to go after only healthy people, Medicare created a complex payment formula that factored in local demographics, health plan quality ratings, and the medical status of enrollees in general. The sicker the member, the bigger the capitation. That worked almost too well. Advantage plans enrolled a lot of sicker people, including many lower-income beneficiaries. And then they began writing down every medical condition a member uh, in a member, often too aggressively and sometimes inappropriately upcoding in order to boost the capitation amount. That's what the whole thing has become, a method of extracting money from the federal government. What's more, health plans also figured out what they needed to do to get high quality ratings for bonus payouts. 
Last year, 90% of plans received four or five stars. The overall result? Today, Medicare is spending 6% more for an Advantage member than it would have if that person had been in original Medicare. And that's according to MedPAC, a nonpartisan legislative agency that advises lawmakers on Medicare financing. Some analysts estimate the difference is even greater. So uh, MedPAC uh, blamed it on a flawed payment system, saying that policies undermine the goal of plans to compete to improve quality and reduce health care costs. Humana, the second largest advantage insurer, recently announced that it was withdrawing from the commercial employer group market to focus entirely on Medicare. They want to stake, they want to become stakeholders in the Medicare market by basically putting all their eggs in the Medicare basket. They think that's where the massive amount of money that um, they uh, they use for revenue every year that they uh, in, encounter, they earn in revenue is going to grow because they're going to find that pay, they're having the federal government pay them for their Medicare Advantage activities is going to be more profitable for them. I got to tell you, I listened to a, a um, podcast put on by two guys who are very friendly and helpful. They really enjoy helping agents. And uh, <laughs> the more I listen, the more I realize they only enjoy helping agents sell Medicare Advantage plans. And they have drank the Kool-Aid. They have fallen prey to the lies that started back with Ted Kennedy when he started touting HMOs as a way to erase illness and the need for medical treatment from the American population. HMOs, get them into a doctor early enough and they'll never get sick. You'll never need to spend a lot of money on them. Stupid idea. Uh, that's just an impossible dream, but this is what HMO has started from. And now they've grown like monsters to take over a huge chunk of the, the uh, federal budget. But these two guys are so helpful and friendly and they want to have the best possible treatment for their patients, but they've got it exactly backwards. They say that, that especially poor people are better treated by an HMO because the doctors are capitated. Remember that word? The capitation, they're paid every month for each patient that selects them as a primary care physician. And so they, these poor saps think that because the doctors are paid every month for each of the patients that have named them as a primary care physician, that these doctors are anxiously waiting to have them come to the office more frequently and to treat them for things, test for things, and and be proactive with their medical care. That's exactly backwards. The doctors in an HMO receive income whether or not the patients show up at the office. So in reality, they are paid to sit around like a union worker and not do anything. And they sit around and hope that nobody comes to the office because then they don't have to do any work with a patient. In fact, those guys also have side practices. So they're hoping to get more revenue producing patients. And they're hoping that the uh, HMO patients stay away. When the HMO patients do show up, they're treated like second-class citizens in some respects because the doctor has already been paid for their relationship. He is not going to get any extra money for doing any additional testing or treatment of disease or searching for signs of further disease. They're basically 
like union workers who uh, have to have two breaks, lunch, and they have to go home at four o'clock in the afternoon and they get many, many holidays off. These uh, HMO doctors are not incentivized like other members in our society are. The profit motive is not working and it's not working to the advantage of the uh, the uh, Medicare Advantage participants who are stuck in HMOs, but this big lie that these two guys on this podcast uh, believe is being perpetrated all over uh, the United States, and it's just kind of a disgusting situation. I think I've uh, climbed up on my uh, <laughs> my uh, high horse here, and and Randy is about to save me from uh, <laughs> over overreacting to the disgusting news that I've seen today. Randy, well, please step in. Can you see the disgusting look on my face? <laughs> I, I sure can. I sure can. So I have a question that has never occurred to me. Now, maybe I should have picked this up along the way, but this specific question has never occurred to me. Well, can, a given, can a given doctor ride both sides of the fence? Oh, yes, because the doctor is not an employee of the HMO. What he does, he's actually kind of a prostitute. What he does is a a guy from the HMO shows up in the doctor's office and says, you're a young doctor, maybe from uh, Uzbekistan or wherever you might be from, and you don't have a practice established yet, but you want to be a doctor. So how about if I figure out a way for you to have some more patients come into your office? And you don't have to spend a lot of money advertising. How does that sound? The doctor goes, sure, I want more patients. How are you going to get them for me? The HMO representative says, well, what I'm going to do is start an insurance plan. And anybody that signs up for the insurance plan, and there'll be a lot of them because it's really cheap, they will have to come to you. Otherwise, they won't have any other doctors to go to. And they won't have the freedom of choice, but they will come to you for treatment and there are your patients. And the guy goes, that that sounds too good to be true. What's the catch? The catch is that you have to treat them for a very small amount of money, but we're going to deliver so many patients to your practice that that small amount of money will be made up for in volume. And so so then could this given doctor then go flip to the other side and and use uh, traditional Medicare with a supplement? Absolutely. Uh, or uh, whatever the, the other person has, they might be working for a living. You know, it might be a 40 year old who doesn't, yeah, uh, yeah, has, yeah. hasn't gotten anywhere near Medicare. When that guy happens to wander in the door, he just gets a different fee schedule. So the office clerk, the first thing the office clerk always says, as you probably know, give me your card. So when the person ponies up the card, they either belong to that insurance plan that the HMO salesman told the doctor about and they get one fee schedule or, or maybe no fee because the plan pays a capitation every month. Anybody that doesn't have the card from that plan is going to get a different fee schedule. And the doctor really hopes more of those patients show up because the capitation amount don't uh, amounts don't really reward him enough for treating the patients that belong to the HMO. So I have another crazy question. And, you know, I always ask questions in terms of extremes so that I make Mm -hmm. sure I'm clear in my head. So if a given doctor, let's call him Thumbs Handelman. Okay. (laughs) Okay. Those of you who are old enough will know where that goes back to. But anyway, Dr. Thumbs Handelman, if he had 10,000 registered patients at his practice. Yep. And he never saw one of them. Uh-huh. For a given month. Yep. Or maybe two months. 
he's going to get paid at whatever rate he gets paid at for all 10,000 of those patients that never darkened his doorstep. That's right. The capitation amount will keep flowing in. Now, it's a small amount per patient, but if all these patients are healthy and nobody comes to see him, he's going to cash that check, and then he's going to send a thank you note to the HMO salesmen who are out there attracting more participants buying into that HMO plan. Where do I sign? Where do I sign up for a program like this? I guess I can sit on my butt and not do a thing and still get paid. Okay. Step one, go to medical school and get back to me when you finish step one, and then we'll go to step two. (laughs) Oh, I, it, it never fails that I learn something from you every time we do one of these. And sometimes it makes me angry. This whole episode has been one of angst for me. My guts are churning. And uh, frankly, I'm not pleased. But I think if I get to hear your episode close, it always puts me in a good mood. And I'm always hoping <laughs> for an altitude level that I can actually use oxygen. You know, I mean, actually, not, not have to use oxygen with. Okay. Well, you know something? Our 75 cents is gone. I'm not surprised to hear that. Uh, we definitely have used up our 75 cents. So. I need to land the plane on this episode. I'm going to make special note of this episode. It's the one where blood came shooting out of my eyes. Well, I was right there with you. I was so angry and my high blood pressure came back with a vengeance. But having said all that, there's a few things I always like to take care of before we sign off. One is, is that do not under any circumstances leave Doug Jones's email box empty. Okay, send him a note at dbj at mlmmailbag.com. One more time. That was the crickets. Uh, One more. Did you hear him? I did, but why (laughs) the crickets are uh, not on the same time schedule as you and I? No, they're they're on a whole different time zone because I forgot to start them. (laughs) I knew there'd be a good explanation. Proceed. (laughs) Proceed with your masterful closing. So anyway, there's a couple other things. Doug is... Definitely looking for your email at that address. Number one on the list that you need to remember is he is a nationwide licensed agent to help you with your Medicare supplement planning. Check us out at MedicareForTheLazyMan.com, the website. There's lots of cool stuff to read and look at there. Even a, what was it, 1957 Gasser Dragster? Well, that's right. One was a 55, one was a 57. Okay, well, I'm. I like the fifty sevens. I like the body better. Me too. I think everybody does. So anyway, and the other thing is, I would appreciate you going out, spending a few minutes, and seeing if you can find a place to give us a review on the podcast as well as the book, because we could use the points. It's all about the reviews. But last and certainly not least is thank you for joining us. You could have been a number of different places, and you weren't. You are here with us listening to the Medicare for the Lazy Man podcast. And if you weren't paying attention to your watch, you have just spent about 32 and a half minutes with Doug Jones, the anti-insurance insurance guy originally from Oklahoma. No more. He's living up in the high ground behind Cave Creek, Arizona. And today he actually has got a chance of working without oxygen. I'm going to put him down at about 9,300 feet. Oh, oh, like a breath of fresh air. Ladies and gentlemen, it's been a pleasure sharing our morning with you. Please join us again for our next episode of Medicare for the Lazy Man. Bye-bye. <laughs>